Good evening. If you're here for the first time, know that we're glad you're here. Uh, we're always, we always love having first-time guests with us here. Uh, we've been marching through the book of Mark, asking the simple question, who is Jesus? Uh, this book is actually going to take us all the way to Easter. Uh, what we don't cover here on Sundays, we've been covering here uh, in our groups, our group time. Last week, we talked about bacons and demons. Okay? Uh, this week, we're talking about Hebrew Happy Meals. That's just where we are. Okay, but let me assure you, last week was much more than uh, bacon and demons, um, just pig and demons. It was a heavy, but it was a necessary sermon. Um, but we saw that last week that Satan destroys, but Jesus delivers. Uh, today's story is in Mark chapter 6, so you guys can go ahead and turn there. This story is one of the more popular stories in the Bible. I say that not because I've actually taken a poll um, or just, you know, or, or I think it's popular, but because this story, the, the miracle we're going to see in today's passage is the most widely recorded miracle in the Bible, apart from the resurrection. This story is about a Hebrew Happy Meal. It's in all four Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, and it's also the, the, the largest crowd recorded in the Gospels. If you're familiar with the story, uh, it, it's the story where Jesus takes five loaves and two fish, that Hebrew Happy Meal, uh, and he feeds 5,000 people. It's a, it's a miraculous account. It's, there's a lot of similarities in all four uh, gospel, gospel accounts, but there's also a few slight differences. Each author emphasizes this same account from four different perspectives, uh, but they all line up with each other. In every account, we see a lot of great things about Jesus, and there's a, uh, there's a lot of Old Testament imagery we see in this story, uh, which is pretty neat. We're going to point out as we kind of go here, uh, we're going to see that Jesus is a great creator. We're going to see his power. We're going to see his compassion. We're going to see his provision and his protection. We're going to see his rest and his patience. But something that's interesting in Mark's account of this story, specifically in Mark's account, is Mark puts more emphasis on the disciples than any other account. We see more about what the disciples are doing than any others. And something I noticed this week specifically in Mark is this, is this miracle happened somewhat unexpectedly. Like they, it just wasn't on their radar. Uh, Mark seems to emphasize the unexpected nature of this account as we go through the story. You'll see this. Uh, Mark shows that the disciples were trying to do one thing, but Jesus wanted them to see something very different, something completely different. We'll see, uh, we'll see that again more as we go through it, but there's also something interesting about this account that I, I think we'll see as well, and it's that Jesus cares. Jesus cares. For example, this is the only account... Specifically, as, as we see this, as we see this story, it's the only account where Jesus looks out into the crowd and, sees, and Jesus says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Emphasizing Jesus' shepherding care. So with that said, we're going we're gonna to go through our story today. We're asking the question, who is Jesus? But out of all the characteristics that we can look at as we look at this story, specifically in Mark's account, the one I want us to see today is our main idea, and it's Jesus is the great shepherd. Jesus is the great shepherd. And as we'll see in our text, once we get into it, we'll see that, as we've said, the great shepherd cares. But not only does he care, the great shepherd satisfies. So number one, the great shepherd cares. Number two, the great shepherd satisfies. It's one thing to see a problem, but it's a completely different thing to see, to, for actually to, to, to see a problem, to care about a problem. But it's another thing to actually be able to satisfy the problem. Right? To be able to fix the problem. It's one thing to care for someone's hunger, but it's another thing to actually be able to help satisfy their hunger. 
Right? We can care about it all day long, but if we can't satisfy it, we're not helping. That's a small example. But on a larger scale, you know, like I, I care about racism and pollution and poverty and childhood hunger and rampant sexual abuse in our country and world. I can do a lot of things for these issues, but I'm not able to solve or satisfy these problems myself completely by myself. They're much bigger than me. Right? They're all bigger than me. And that's, what we'll, and that's what we'll see today. We'll see that both J- Jesus cares and he's able. Right? He's able to satisfy. Jesus is able to satisfy what he actually cares about. And when we look at this idea of Jesus the great shepherd, we need to understand a little bit about shepherding. Like this, uh, this concept of shepherding. It's, it's, a common, it's a common phrase that's used in the Bible. Uh, fun fact, sheep are mentioned over 500 times in the Bible. A little Bible drill for you later. Um, There seems to be a common similarity between people and sheep that come up in the Bible. Um, This is not an insult to us. That's just, or maybe it is, who knows. Um, So we need to ask, what does a shepherd do? Right? Well, shepherds take care of sheep. Um, Now, I've, I've actually seen and know of two literal shepherds in my life. One was from a good friend of mine. After he graduated, we kind of, we graduated at the same time. He went to seminary. I went to seminary. Uh, and he became a literal shepherd. Like, he worked on a sheep farm. That's just what he did. That was his job when he was in seminary. And there seems to be no better job for a seminary student than to be a, uh, than to be a literal shepherd, like preparing to be a pastor shepherd. And I was a bit jealous of his job, um, more in theory than in practice, I think, because he didn't really get paid very well, um, and he had to deal with dumb sheep all day. So, um, but I, was, I still kind of like the idea of it. But apparently, you know, apparently these sheep, they're not the smartest animals. Um, they seem to be missing, they seem to be missing a few fries in their Happy Meal. <laughs> so so they, they need a shepherd to continually take care of them, to watch over them, to protect them, to feed them. And so knowing this analogy, you know, of pastors being called shepherds, uh, when we were serving in Central Asia, when me and my wife, when we were serving there, we were trying to figure out some logistics, how we we're going to get to and from this school, uh, how, you know, where we were going to be working and we told uh, we were told that our driver uh, would be was was a local shepherd, and because of where we were, there were all sorts of restrictions. You know, Christianity. You know, being being a a, a missionary there was illegal. So we had to spoke in code. We were also often changing our Christian vocabulary, being very careful about what we were doing. So I assumed that shepherd. I thought I was being pretty smart here. I thought I thought it was actual like a, a local pastor. Uh, I thought they were trying to protect our driver, but I assumed wrong. He was actually a real shepherd. Um, he, it didn't actually work out for him to be our driver. We were a little bummed about it, or at least I was. Um, but every, every day on our drive to school, we would pass this sheep farm. And every day I saw the same shepherd. <laughs> he, he, had, he was on a horse, uh, and he had a, he had a stick in his hand. And every day he had this little coke that was kind of hanging from the horse. Like it was just hanging, dangling off the horse. And every day he was watching the sheep, he was caring for the sheep, feeding the sheep, keeping them together. And every day I would kind of smile at him as we would drive by, trying to get his attention. Uh, you know, <laughs> he would just stare at me like I was a crazy American. And then one day, I'll never forget us driving home. Um, I smiled at him as, 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 as he waved at us. Uh, he was sitting on his horse. He was kind of looking off into the distance. I was kind of trying to look and see what he was looking at. Um, and then he takes a, a sip of the Coke and you know, the sun was beaming down on him as the sun was setting, and uh, he looks at me, he takes another sip of his Coke, he puts his Coke down on his side, and he, he smiles at me, and his one silver tooth kind of pings in the sun, you know, and then he takes off on his horse, he goes off into the distance, and I look out to see what he was doing, and out on the, 
out on the out on out on the field, this sheep had climbed up on top of a boulder and was just standing up on top of this boulder, like and it just couldn't get down. So this shepherd was running out to save his sheep uh, because it was stuck. It you know, it was it, sheep are just not very smart. So like a good shepherd, he watched him go rescue his, his dumb sheep. So as we approach our passage today, thinking of Jesus the great shepherd, again we'll see not only does Jesus care but Jesus satisfies. It's one thing to just care for the sheep, but as we'll see, some things are far too difficult, maybe even impossible, requiring a miracle. So not only does Jesus care, Jesus is able to satisfy to do what seems to be too hard, too challenging, or quite possibly impossible. And so with that said, we're going to be in Mark 6, starting in verse 30. I'm going to read, I'm going to make a few observations as we go. And on the back end, we're going to see our two, our two ideas of Jesus, the great shepherd. Okay, so follow along with verse 30. If you don't have your Bible, it's here with me. If you actually want a Bible, we have some for free back on the back. If you don't have one at home, we'd love to give one to you as a gift. So follow along with me on verse, starting in verse 30. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So let me stop there. Let me speed up kind of what's going, what's happening here. So there's 12 disciples here. Mark actually calls these disciples apostles here in this account. And they've been out teaching. They've been laboring. They've been ministering to the crowds. And they've been proclaiming the gospel. And they were tired. And they were hungry. Look back at verse 30. Mark says that Jesus came, you know, that they came to Jesus to tell them all that they had done and taught. Like they were like coming back to report. And then look at verse 31. Jesus tells them to go. Right? He says, get away and rest. You know, they've, been, they've been working and laboring nonstop, and they hadn't even taken time to eat. So they're hungry, and they're retired from ministry. And Jesus, seeing this, shows that he cares and tells them to go and get rest. And this is a bit of a side note for us today, but I think it's at least worth stopping and looking at, because there seems to be here something that we see, a rhythm for ministry. And it's, and it's this, working hard, laboring, trying to reach crowds, the masses, making sacrifices, doing whatever it takes— and then we must also take time and set aside to rest and refuel. You know, there's two dangers on the side of ministry. On the side of this, just in life in general, on one side, there's lazy, laziness and complacency, not doing anything, not being willing to make any sacrifices. You know, the, the disciples were clearly not lazy. Mark said they had no leisure to even eat. And so uh, they were working hard to advance the God, for God's kingdom. So on one side, the danger is laziness and complacency. And as we know, there's no room for that in God's kingdom. But on the other side, the danger is having a Superman complex. Laboring to save the world and never resting. You know, we see this all the time. We see it in, our, in the corporate world, overworking and burnout. Uh, we all, but we also see this in ministry contexts, in the church world. You know, thinking there's no time to rest. People all over the world need to be reached and saved. We've got a city to reach, and we've got a church to build. Uh, that's just kind of where the mentality is, taking no time to rest. You know, I spoke with a guy this, about a year ago who was working in a church, and the guy hadn't taken a day off in eight months. He'd been working seven days in a row, week in and week out, for eight months straight, and he never took a day off. I, I sat down with this guy. I told him he needed to leave the church. I said, that's not healthy. I, don't, I didn't know anything else about the church. Knew nothing. I just said, this is not healthy. That, that's not a healthy place to be. Something we need to remember here is that burnout is not a badge of honor. Burnout is not a badge of honor. Whenever we see things like this happen, thinking we don't have time to rest, we're essentially putting ourselves in a place where only God deserves to be. 
I know God wants to use us, but he certainly doesn't need us. You know, if God saw fit to rest uh, after, this, after six days of creating the world, we too should find rest after our labor. So God created the, the world in six days. We can find uh, and rest on the seventh. We can do the same thing. We can find the same rhythms of rest. And so the disciples here, they were hungry and they needed rest. And then that unexpected thing comes in. The disciples were wanting to be alone. They wanted to rest. They wanted to eat. Uh, I'm assuming that they were a bit hangry here at this point. Um, anybody ever been there? Hangry? Anybody? Okay. Amen. I imagine this uh, like walking in after a long day's work, mentally, physically, emotionally exhausted. You know, you've, you're just, you walk in work and you're just done. You're just, you're spent. You've got nothing left and you want to get home, eat dinner, uh, and be, a, be alone and just not talk to anybody. Right? You've got a nice meal on the dinner table. You're about to sit down and then your doorbell rings. You have no clue who it could be. You get up, you take a deep breath, and you just go hide in the bathroom, right? That's just kind of what you want to do. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's, if we're honest, this is probably what's happening here. But then you, they, they kind of see, uh, maybe the, they see the car, they, they, know, they know you're there, the dog's barking, all the lights are on, uh, and they ring, and they knock, and they ring, and they knock. they're not leaving. Uh, and then after about 10 minutes, you finally get out of the bathroom, you leave, you stop from hiding, and you go answer the door. And then a crowd of people just comes walking in to your house. And, well, that's kind of like what's happening here, except there were 5,000 people. Right? They, they wanted to be alone, um, but they were met with 5,000 people, or quite possibly even more, as we'll see in a little bit. Uh, so, but look at verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So the disciples, like we've said, wanted to get away, eat and rest, and they didn't want to talk to anybody, and then they, they get met by a crowd of people, and then look at verse 34. Uh, when, when he, that being Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And this is where we get our first point, number one, that, that the great shepherd cares. So we saw that Jesus cared for the disciples by encouraging them to rest, to be rejuvenated. And now we see that Jesus cares. We saw he has compassion for the crowds. We see uh, he sees the crowds are like sheep without a shepherd. And, you know, Jesus knew. Jesus knew that he was the Lord who is my shepherd of Psalm 23. Kind of ringing in the back of his head. Jesus knew that he was the rejoicing shepherd of Luke 15 who would go after the one lost sheep. He knew that he was the good shepherd of John 10, 11 who lays down his life for his sheep. He's the chief shepherd of 1 Peter 5, 4 who honors his servants. Jesus also knew he was the great shepherd of Hebrews 13, 20. And when Jesus looked out at the crowds, he looks out and he sees that they're, they're like sheep without a shepherd. He knew that they were, they were, there were people out there. They were lost. They had no direction. They had no pur- purpose. And as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, this is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about this account. He says, there were, there were questions, but they had no answers. Distress, but no relief. Anguish of conscience, but no deliverance. Tears, but no consolation. Sin, but no forgiveness. And this is what he means when Jesus looked out at them with compassion as sheep without a shepherd. Uh, that's what he's talking about. Jesus looked out into this massive crowd, this sea of people, and saw that they were lost. Like they, they were in places that they should not be. They were wandering without a purpose. They were looking for food, but couldn't find what was right in front of them. And so for us here today, I don't want to miss this opportunity. If you're here today, and you feel as if you're a sheep without a shepherd, right? you're wandering, 
You're not sure where you're going, lack direction or purpose. Maybe, maybe you feel you have questions but no answers. Maybe you feel you have distress but no relief, tears but no consolation, or possibly you feel as if you have sin but no forgiveness. Here it is today. Uh, Jesus seeks you. Jesus looks on you. Jesus cares for you. And Jesus is calling on you to let him be your shepherd. To let Jesus direct you, to feed you, to protect you, and give you purpose. Jesus wants to be your great shepherd. If you're not a Christian here today, call out to the great shepherd. Let him shepherd you. If you are a Christian, this is a call and a reminder that like Jesus, we should seek to show compassion and care for others. And something to just point out, uh, we can show compassion for individual people like friends and family members and neighbors. And this is what we typically think about when we think of you know, showing compassion and caring for people. But let's not, this, let's not miss this opportunity to notice that Jesus isn't caring for just one single person in this instance. Jesus is actually caring for the crowds. This is, this is where the introvert in the room uh, can be stretched a little. Uh, not only are, are we called to care for individuals, but we're also called to care for the crowds. Because Jesus cared for both the individual and the crowds. This is what I mean, right? We, we love our neighbor, we care for our family members, the individuals, we also seek to serve and care for the crowds. But, and as we'll see, not just the spiritual needs, but also physical needs. And by doing this, we do things like feeding the homeless and helping the poor and doing diaper and clothes drives, serving at schools and organizations like Mort and Elementary, Mort Elementary and the Pregnancy Care Center. Each of us, you know, we should each strive to have a private, individualized ministry where we're intentionally pouring in and investing in three to five people, building relationships, discipling people, sitting down one-on-one with people to share the gospel with them. And then we should also seek to have a public ministry to show compassion on the crowds, to love and to serve the crowd seeking to meet practical, physical needs. And this is, why we do, this is why we do things like Serve Week four times a year here at New City Church. We've got it coming up in a few weeks. Uh, we seek to serve our community, to seek to, seek to help uh, meet practical, physical needs. Things that uh, don't help the bottom line of our church, but rather we help to build up the community. You know, some of us, we love to serve the crowds, but we, have, we struggle to have intentional gospel, hard gospel conversations with people. And then some find uh, one-on-one intentional conversations with people a little bit easier than, than serving large crowds. You know, it's, it's not an either-or, it's a both-and. Like, we, we were called to do both. Why? Because Jesus cared for both. Jesus did both. He was intentional with his disciples, and he served, and he loved the crowds. Jesus' ministry was both public and private. He met their physical needs, like hunger and sickness, to point them to their greater need. And so for each of us in this room here tonight, it's a call to evaluate our own life and ministry and see where we have room to grow. Do we need to be better about having intentional gospel conversations with people to share the truth of Jesus with someone? Or would you prefer to sit down with someone over a cup of coffee, listen to them, minister to them, and leave the crowds to someone else? Right? Because the crowds, uh, it takes more time, that's harder to coordinate, it's a little bit less convenient. Um, and if you're like me, it's probably a little bit of both. And this is something just for us to think about and evaluate. We, seek to, we should seek to show the same care that Jesus showed to the individual and to the crowds. So with that said, let's look back to our story and see what's happening next. And I think this is a little bit funny. Not because the event is actually funny, um, but because I imagine the disciples are feeling in this moment because I've been there. Because remember, they're hangry. 
uh, at this moment. They're tired. They want to just be by themselves, sit on the couch, eat dinner, uh, watch Netflix, a game, read a book, or do something and just check out. And Jesus is over here teaching the large crowds to a group of people. And look what it says in verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is, a, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy them something to eat. Essentially saying, uh, hey, Jesus, let's wrap this thing up. Right, it's, it's time to go. Uh, it's getting late. We're in the middle of nowhere. We're tired. We're hungry. They're hungry. Why don't we just send them home? Let them go to Publix. Let them get some sushi on the way home. Let them get a rotisserie chicken for dinner on the way home. And then Jesus says back to them in verse 37. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? So the disciples wanted them to feed themselves. Right? But Jesus, he had a better idea. He says, nope, that's not what we're going to do. You guys are going to feed them. And I think it's kind of funny because their response uh, shows a little bit of sarcasm attached to it because they look out at the size of the crowd. And they, remember, this is not a small crowd. It, this isn't like uh, trying to feed a large family or even a neighborhood block party. It says later, there were 5,000 people here. 5,000 men, actually is what it's specifically, and that's not counting women and children, which were also there, as we see in other accounts. So this would, go, this would be like going into a basketball arena, uh, packed full of people, and someone looking at you and your friends, a handful of, maybe a handful of guys sitting in and saying, hey, uh, you need to feed all these people. <laughs> and this is where you cue the Kawhi Leonard chuckle. Right? This is kind of meme-worthy. If it were you and me, we would just look out and laugh. Uh, which is kind of what they did. They said, do you want us to buy 200 denarii worth of bread? Which is about eight months worth of wages. Uh, but then you think about it, there were 12 of them. So, you know, essentially they said, do you want us to take everything we made this past month and go buy bread for everybody? You know, it feels kind of like a big ask. And remember, they're tired and hungry. Uh, many of them already lost, left jobs. Remember that these guys have left their jobs and sacrificed a lot to follow him and then Jesus comes in and makes what seems to be a major ask of them to sacrifice more. And we don't, we don't know for sure, but I'm guessing uh, they probably didn't have the money to do this because, like we said, they left their jobs. But then we see Jesus do something. Look at verse 38. He said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. You know, Jesus, at this point, he didn't ask him to bring what they didn't have, only what he had, uh, which was probably... Just their dinner, but they were waiting to eat, sitting there waiting to eat, possibly. Look at verse 39. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So Jesus looks out at the disciples and says, bring all the food you've got. Bring everything you've got, and they bring in their, their Hebrew happy meal. They're five loaves and two fish. Um, you could call them, maybe they wanted to make fish sandwiches. I don't know. Uh, but he commands them to go and sit on the green grass, which is kind of that Old Testament imagery coming into play um, some of that symbolism coming in, thinking about Jesus is the great shepherd, right? commanding all these people to go and sit on the green grass, thinking of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
he makes me lie down in green pastures. So he's kind of drawing in from that David language there. And then in verse Verse 40, they sat down in groups of 50s and 100s. And we could go into a lot of this detail. I'm not going to go into, into much. Exodus 18, he's using the similar numbers here after they come out of the Exodus, the same similar numbers that Jethro used. And then in verses 41 to 44, Jesus took what the disciples brought him, the five loaves and the two fish, and he divided those, divided everything they had, and they fed 5,000 men. And as we've said, the book, of, the book of Matthew actually says there were also women and children. So it would be fair to say that there were probably close to ten to 15,000 people here. Because, you know, it says there were 5,000 men, but then if you add in all the, the women and the children, there's much, much more. And verse 42 says they all ate and were satisfied. And then they came in and they brought, uh, they had 12 baskets full of leftovers. So God took what they, what they brought and he multiplied it. And so as we think about this story, we saw that Jesus cared. You know, he cared for the disciples' rest. He cared for the crowds. But not only did Jesus care, but also, number two, the great shepherd satisfies. And so not only did he look on the crowds with compassion, he saw that they were hungry, and he was able to fill their hunger. He was able to satisfy their hunger. And as I've said, there are a lot of directions that we could take with this sermon the rest of our time. We could talk about how God is able to multiply our resources uh, which he absolutely can. We could talk about how God is powerful, which he absolutely is. We could even talk about how God is able to do the impossible because, again, he absolutely can and he does. But as I said at the beginning of our time, the author of Mark focuses more on the disciples here. So let's think about this. Think about the disciples. Think about what they brought to this event. What did the disciples bring? They were tired. They were hungry. They lacked resources. Um, which seems about like my kids at dinner time. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but then when we think, what did the disciples do at this event? They didn't bring much, but they certainly did something. The disciples did something. You know what they did? The disciples sought rest. The disciples obeyed. The disciples served. They ate, and they were satisfied. And what did Jesus do? Like, what did Jesus do and bring? He brought compassion. He brought teaching. He brought direction. And Jesus brought a powerful miracle. Which if we look at this, we can say, we can look at it and say, you know, this is what our relationship is like every single day. We're often tired, hungry, and lack the necessary resources, whether it's emotional, physical, and spiritual resources. We come to God with nothing except our sin, yet he comes back to us with compassion, teaching, direction, and power. When we look at our, the overarching story of this, we can be encouraged that our God is able to multiply our resources, that God is able to do the impossible, but more, much more than that, we should see that our God satisfies. God may not always multiply our resources in the way we would like, but he will always satisfy us. God's not always going to do the impossible miracle in the way we would like him to do it, but he will always satisfy us. Our God is able to multiply, and he's able to do the impossible, but much better than that, the great shepherd satisfies. When the disciples were tired and hungry, Jesus told them to rest, and then he gave them a pretty big task of feeding an extremely large crowd. And I don't know about you, but when I'm tired and hungry, going and serving a really big banquet doesn't seem like much rest. But Jesus had a different idea of rest. Yes, Jesus wanted to provide physical rest, but much more than that, he wanted them to find soul rest. He wanted them to be satisfied. You said they went for rest, but they got interrupted. Some, sometimes God comes in and he answers our prayers in ways that we don't expect. 
The disciples were hungry and tired, but Jesus wanted to give them rest and satisfaction in a different way. They didn't just need physical rest. They needed deep soul rest. It says in verse 42, they all ate, which includes the disciples, and they were satisfied. So not only did Jesus provide satisfaction for the crowds, he provided satisfaction for the disciples too. And here's the thing. We could have let, he could have let disciples eat and rest, but he wanted them to be satisfied. Because what Jesus knew and understood was that we're not made to be satisfied with full stomachs and empty souls. Jesus could have provided an all-inclusive vacation for the disciples. He could have done it. He could have provided a place to get away for the commotion of life, to let them be by themselves without being interrupted. And sometimes there's time for that, but the disciples didn't need a vacation. The disciples needed rest. They needed to find satisfaction, and not in bread alone. But as, and as John says in the account, after it was all over, he pointed out to the disciples they needed to find rest and satisfaction in him, Jesus, the bread of life. Many scholars have said this story, as people, this story as people are sitting around in the fields, you know, everyone in large groups, you know, this story, it represents a great banquet. Oftentimes in the Gospels, after Jesus dumps some sort of miracle, uh, he tells them not to tell anybody, but this time, this is the epitome of Jesus' public ministry. You know, at this point in Jesus' ministry, he's probably number one, trending number one on social media. You know, his followers are at the highest point, and here he is feeding fields and fields of people, and there's probably 10 to, 10 to 15,000 people total, showing he's the good shepherd. Right? He's showing in this instance, looking at all the Old Testament language, that he's the kingly Messiah, hosting what many have said is a great banquet. But what he's trying to get across to the people is that he came not to be the host of the Messianic banquet, he came to be the banquet itself. He didn't come to just serve the bread. Jesus came to be the bread. Jesus does not only want us to come to the party, Jesus is the party. You see, we think we need to be satisfied by the things of this world, but Jesus knows that only he will satisfy us. When, when we see Jesus going to the cross, Jesus is going as the great shepherd. Jesus went to the cross because he looked out at us, each one of us. He looked out at us as sheep, sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion for us. Jesus went to the cross as the great shepherd, not just to help his sheep, protect his sheep, and lead his sheep to better pastures. That's not why Jesus went to the cross. No, he would do far more than that. Jesus went to the cross as the great shepherd to lay down his life for his sheep. Because if, he, if Jesus didn't lay down his life for his sheep, his sheep would never be satisfied. You see, the shepherd had to die so that the sheep could live. That's the gospel. Jesus went to the cross in our place. We are the sheep that bring nothing to the table. We have no resources, nothing good. We're tired and we're hangry sheep without any direction. But yet God looks at us with compassion and sent us a great shepherd to lay down his life for his sheep. That's the gospel. We bring nothing to the table but sin, and Jesus gives us his very life to be our sole satisfaction. We come to the banquet with nothing but sin, and Jesus takes our sin to the cross so that we can be satisfied in the one who went to the cross. So we can be satisfied by the bread of life. The disciples thought they needed food and rest, but they needed far more than that. They needed Jesus himself. And as we close out our time tonight, I want to call each of us to find rest and satisfaction in Jesus, in Jesus alone. You know, I have, I have no clue what you've been running to for soul care and for satisfaction. Maybe, maybe it's better or a different job. Maybe it's a better living situation. Maybe it's longing for a better financial situation. Maybe it's fish, wishing you had more friends, different friends or your old friends. Maybe you're here tonight and you're burdened by ministry. 
Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're on the verge of burnout. Whatever you brought you here tonight, whatever has been on the forefront of your mind, whatever your soul has been hungry for, hear this as a call to sit at the feet of Jesus. let, Let Jesus shepherd you, to let Jesus be your source of soul care and satisfaction. Because, listen, our kids, our kids being more disciplined is not going to fully satisfy us. Having more money in our bank account will not fully satisfy us. Having a spouse will not fully satisfy us. There will always be something in front of us luring for us to feast on. There's always going to be something seeking to satisfy us. But the one thing that will satisfy us is Jesus, the great shepherd, that laid down his life for us so that we could find ours. Jesus cares And Jesus satisfies because Jesus is the great shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we we love you. We're thankful for the gospel. We're thankful that we can find rest and satisfaction in Jesus and Jesus alone. Father, we don't need uh, earthly uh, treasures. We don't need earthly comfort. We don't need anything else in this world to satisfy us. We need the great shepherd to satisfy us. Father, we pray for every single person in this room. We pray that we would let the great shepherd shepherd us tonight. That if there's someone in here in this room tonight that has not put their faith and trust in Jesus, I pray that they would see the greatness of who God is, how how God comes in and takes care of us, that Jesus cares for us, that Jesus has the power and the ability to come in and provide every single need we've ever needed. But not only does he care, but Jesus is able to satisfy everything we've ever needed. So Father, I pray that as we we worship the Lord tonight, that we will be able to feast on who Christ is. We will find soul satisfaction in Jesus and in Jesus alone. We're thankful for this time. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.